0: Take a moment and picture this in your mind. You're walking down the high street on a Saturday afternoon doing a spot of shopping. As you're strolling around the shops you pass hundreds of people. People of all ages, sexes, races, backgrounds, religions. Take a good long look at them. This is our society. It's me, it's you, it's us. Today's podcast is all about people you don't see on the high street those that are hidden from sight. One of those people was me, and this is my story. So let's get back to those people who you pass by on your high street. They're all living their story. Their own personal story may have just begun, or they may be heading towards the end of their book. As we move through the great book of life, we end old chapters and begin new ones. Just like a book that you've never read before, you don't know where the next chapter leads to. Your next chapter might be an exciting adventure, or it might be one filled with despair and poverty. The book of my life, so far, reads like the fable of Dick Whittington, who fled to London to seek his fortune. From a very young age, I knew that I had a burning desire to really shape my own destiny and create my own wealth, but it didn't come easy. Back then, I was a naive, unassuming, and sometimes timid young boy. But I also had big things planned for myself, if only I knew what they were. At the tender age of 11, I was packed off to a military boarding school at the other end of the country, a couple of hundred miles away from my mum and sisters. My dad at that time was serving in the Royal Navy, so he was rarely home, and would often be away for up to what, 18 months at a time on deployment. I can still recall the complete devastation waving goodbye to them as the train left the station. Floods of tears would pour from my eyes and it felt like my heart was ripping apart each time I was sent away to spend another term away from my family, being marched to lessons, the dining hall and the church each Sunday. It wasn't really a place for an 11-year-old who was suffering from extreme homesickness. I could only put up with it for a year or so until I begged my mum, please let me stay home. Eventually, my mum agreed, but I felt like I let them down. After I was done with school, I followed in my family's footsteps by joining the Royal Navy. I spent five amazing years travelling the world, seeing the sights, having fun thousands of miles away from home, meeting new people and even served my country in the first Gulf War in 1991. It turned me into a man, taught me self-discipline and it also taught me to stand on my own two feet. But it wasn't enough. I wanted to shape my future destiny in my own way, so I decided to leave the Navy and set out towards London, with a few belongings just as Dick Whittington did in search for gold. Anyone that's been to London will tell you that it can be a lonely, unforgiving place for strangers. Despite a few odd jobs here and there, my luck was eventually running out, and I became homeless. I could no longer afford a house, a flat, a bedsit or even a hostel. I was pretty much penniless and I didn't have anywhere that I could call home. Sometimes a friend would allow me to sleep on their sofa for a few nights. Those were the lucky nights. Other nights I would walk the streets until the early morning, waiting for the first tube to start running so I could catch up on some sleep on the circle line. And on other nights, I just found somewhere quiet to close my eyes for a while. I never did admit that I was homeless until many years later. I was always too proud to admit it, and even kept it a secret for my family. I also refused to admit it because I wasn't a stereotypical homeless person. I wasn't in a hostel for the homeless. I wasn't claiming any benefits. And I wasn't bedding down in a sleeping bag, sleeping bag in a doorway each night. I was just far too proud to ask anyone for help. But by doing this, I was practically invisible to society. I was part of society's hidden homeless, just keeping out of sight and out of mind. Luckily, I still had the desire to better myself. Dick Whittington had his cat, and it was his cat that turned his fortunes around. I didn't have a cat. I was down to the last pound in my pocket, and I really needed to think out of the box very quickly. You may remember I had a few odd jobs. One of these jobs was to drag a huge bag of merchandise from door to door, street to street, selling whatever was in my bag. The bag sometimes contained toys or games. Sometimes it might have been household goods. Most of the time, I was dragging round a bag of cheap rubbish, hoping to sell as much as I could. So I decided that the only way that I could get myself off the street was to go back to selling door-to-door. So I headed to a wholesaler's and begged them to allow me to buy a single item from their stock. The very first mobile phones were starting to be sold to the public then, so I chose a toy mobile phone that would appeal to children. It cost me 67 pence. I went out, took it door-to-door and eventually sold it for £3. Almost five times the original cost. And what did I do with that £3? Well, first things first, I bought myself a bag of chips because I was hungry. But then I headed back to the wholesaler and bought three more toy phones, which I then took back to the streets and sold them for £9. No prizes for guessing what I did with this £9, I went back and bought more and kept repeating this pattern every day over and over again until I was able to check into a cheap backpackers hostel each night. And so this routine continued until I was making almost 900 pounds a week which was a lot of money 25 years ago. I was building my finances back up again and with it my dignity and I was beginning to feel like I was part of a part of society again. Eventually, I made enough money to consider what the next chapter of my life was going to be. Although with running my door-to-door sales operation, I was now also the night manager of that backpacker's hostel, and it was that position that launched me into the hotel and catering industry, where I eventually became restaurant manager at a four-star hotel, and at 22, one of the youngest pub landlords in the country. As part of these jobs, I had to get involved with producing leaflets, designing menus, creating marketing strategies for attracting customers. And it was then that I realised marketing was my dream job. At that time, the web was still very young, and I jumped on the chance of learning web design, web development and internet marketing. This really was my calling, so I pursued it as my career. During the early years of my new career, I once again found myself back in trouble. Back then, I was terrible at controlling my finances, and over the course of a few years, I became homeless yet again on three more occasions, due to mismanaging my money in Torquay, Banbury and Liverpool. But I never gave up. I continued to push ahead with my dreams. Nine years ago... I launched my very first website, an events listings guide called Britevents.com. The website became very successful uh, successful despite designing, developing and marketing it whilst holding down a full job at the, at the same time. Then came another successful website, and then another, and then another, and I realised then that this was a brand new chapter of my life, a real turning point. When I got to the stage where my websites were earning £5,000 a month, I decided to give up my full-time job and incorporate my business. My wife had just given birth to twin baby girls, and I was lucky enough to be able to spend the majority of my time helping her through the first 18 months whilst the money was coming in from my websites. When our babies turned into toddlers, I focused my attention back onto my business again. I had a whole list of ideas as long as my arm by then, and my five websites turned into a portfolio of more than 30 within a few years. Some were successful, others flopped. By keeping my ambition going all along, and by being persistent, I've been able to turn my fledgling business into a very profitable one that's on target to turn over a quarter of a million pounds in the next financial year. This was without any financial backing or assistance. I didn't realise until very recently that my personal story was very much like the story of Dick Whittington, a young man with big dreams that knew he could find success, despite the many setbacks in his way. Today, I try and be as humble as I can. I always try to remember who I am, where I've been, and the obstacles that I've faced in my life. I'm proof, if any is needed, that the stereotypical homeless person of being a lazy no-hoper isn't true. More often than not these people want to find a way back into society and make their dreams and ambitions come true. I now try to play a very small part in helping others by paying it forward. Homelessness has been a huge part of my life and I count myself lucky that I can now contribute something back to others in similar circumstances. So in 2016 I created a new charity kipbag.com which raises money to distribute self-contained packs to the homeless, which include a sleeping bag, toiletries, warm clothes and other essentials. Although we know we can't eradicate homelessness ourselves, we want to give rough sleepers a little warmth, comfort and dignity. But can society as a whole do more? I want to give you a few statistics about the area I know a little bit about the hidden homeless. These are the people who exist in bed and breakfasts, squats, on the floors or sofas of friends or completely out of sight and off the books. The charity for single homeless people, Crisis, commissioned a survey and they found that 62% of single homeless people were classed as hidden homeless and that of the people that they surveyed, had experienced hidden homelessness. According to the latest statistics published by the government, on a single day in 2017, the number of people counted that were sleeping rough in England was 3,569, up 30% from the previous year. However, this figure does not include statistics on other forms of homelessness, and therefore it doesn't show the bigger picture. If you were to include all of those who were classed as hidden homeless, guess how much this number rises to? 5,000? 8,000? 10,000? 15,000? More? Well, the truth is no one really knows. How do you count the number of people living in a squat? How do you count the number of people who are sleeping on friends' sofas? How do you count the number of people who don't want to be counted because they're too proud to admit they don't have a home to go to? How do you count the number of people who just have enough cash to get their head down in a £10 a night hostel? Well you can't, so we don't really know what the true bigger picture looks like. There are an unknown uh, number of people that exist out of sight day to day. Some days they sleep rough, other days they beg a sofa, some days they might be able to get access to a locked building. Many of these people spend a huge amount of the day figuring out where they'll be sleeping that night. This is the hidden truth about homelessness. We just don't know how big the problem is. But I suspect that it is huge. Hidden homelessness is a huge problem. It's a lonely situation for those it affects. It can result in severe depression and can make them feel extremely vulnerable. For them... It can feel like society has turned its back on them. They feel alone, helpless, and scared. Simply put, it can be devastating. For some, it leads to huge health problems. Others turn to crime. Some are exploited and are exposed to serious danger. But one thing they all have in common they have little or no access to basic necessities such as shelter, warmth, washing facilities and safety. So the big question is who will feed, support and home these people? It's been said that the UK economy has now get regained pre-recession output levels but with deep cuts in welfare and a lack of affordable rented housing the big question still remains. Central Government needs to dedicate more time and effort into gathering more information and data on the homeless, and adjust their financial support to help local authorities. The Government aren't even able to give accurate population statistics, so how could they possibly know how much money to provide to helping the homeless? And as for local authorities, they should continue to reach out to support agencies to work more closely together. To ensure that information on homeless people's rights and entitlements, support packs and advice is given to everyone who needs it. Central government, local authorities and support organisations need to come together. To find common ground, to agree tactics and address the plight of our homeless. And what about us? How can we help? Well, yes, we can and we do. I see many people uh, from all walks of life volunteering their time and giving their money to charities. Last year I saw people, normal people like you and I, working together to organise events to ensure that vulnerable people were not alone on Christmas Day. There seems to be a growing number of the general public who are saying enough is enough, I need to do something to help. My heart feels lifted when I see people like them working together to help some of the most vulnerable people in Britain. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast from me, Chris Haycock. If you enjoyed it and want to discover how you and I can work together to make your digital strategy a big success, then head over to my website at chrishaycock.co.uk.